0: And that human philosophy way, makes its way into churches, good churches. And when it does, it confuses the whole gospel. It, uh, it makes it impure. It, it, it combines good and bad. Hello, and welcome to this edition of That They Might Know, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Dr. William Mazella, and our teacher is my friend and brother in the Lord, Joe Durso. After enjoying this discussion of God's Word, if you are seeking discipleship or biblical counseling, please email us. Now, for today's message. Dear Heavenly Father, it is a, a hard place to sit in judgment. Of someone or something When we ourselves are just men We don't have the right to sit in your place And make judgments And yet at the same time we are called to be discerning To be men of understanding To be people with a heart That we care for others And how can we care for others If we don't even know what's hurting them what's hurting ourselves. Lord, we're all just men. Uh, An elder in a church, a a pastor in a church, a shepherd in a church. It's just a man. And we fall so far short in and of, of ourselves. We give way to human philosophy and thinking rather than standing on the word of God, and to have a discerning spirit as it's given us by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we are to be men dependent upon God alone, who give glory to God alone, not to men. Lord, this is a a hard subject, something hard to talk about, because we can all are vulnerable and so easily set aside, so easily we have our Joy torn from us and replaced with anger or dismay or disappointment or discouragement. And Lord, the devil is out to do just that, to to destroy us in a variety of ways. And so, Lord, whether it's teaching the subject or living my life in a way that's pleasing to you and not dishonoring, Lord, I I have only one to pray to, and that's you. To ask you for guidance. To ask you for goodness and humility. I need much, much. We all do. We need so much humility because there's so much deception. Forget about the world. In the church today. It's inescapable. And yet here we find ourselves. Lord, bring revival. Bring the Holy Spirit that's been promised. Bring the Spirit that alone can bring life to the church. Guide me through this message. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is uh, episode 62 in the Not I But Christ series. And the title of it is Are We Fleshly Infants or Spiritually Mature? And unlike a lot of sermons that I share uh, or teaching, uh, I usually speak from a verse or a few verses, a paragraph, uh, maybe a chapter. In this one, we're going to find our way through, walk our way through three chapters in 1 Corinthians. I want the context. I want a full understanding of what Paul is saying and to do that, we'll need to walk through three chapters. Um, before doing that, I just want to share that this week I got hired on at uh, a woman's center where I've been asked to head up a ministry and really grow it from the ground up. And if you're listening to this, I appreciate your prayers because prayer is always needed much Prayer is needed for me in this endeavor because it's something that only God can do. I recognize that at best, you know, what we are as workers in God's vineyard, as laborers, are just channels, meant to be channels of God's blessing. Uh, That he works and labors through us. And the only alternative is to think something of ourselves that we're not, we can't be. I mean, only God can bring something that doesn't exist into existence. Only God is the creator. He's the source of life. I mean, everything comes from God. We're going to look at that as we, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 3. Um, beginning in chapter 1 and uh, verse 1, Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And our brother Sosthenes to the church, which is in Corinth. Paul sets the stage, he always does, that his apostleship is by calling, and it's by the will of God. He didn't call himself, he didn't choose to be an apostle, he didn't even choose to choose Christ. He's knocked down on the road and saw Christ, blinded him uh, in the process. And, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, who are you, Lord? I mean, this is, this is how it begins for Paul. He wasn't looking for this. It was something that God initially did. So he's called to be an apostle in the process, of course, like everyone who's true um, gets, became saved. And it was by God's will and God's design. Now he's writing to the church at Corinth, which he founded, by the grace of God, proclaim the gospel. God did a work in these people, and how he's concerned about them in, in a variety of ways, chapter after chapter after chapter. But we're beginning with these first three, and he sets the stage. He's writing to the church, a called-out assembly of people, of God, not of men, uh, which was at Corinth to those, verse 2, who had been sanctified, set apart by God for a purpose. Set apart, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Saints by calling. They were called. They're minding their own business, going their own earthly way, as sinners do. And one by one, God calls them to be separated from the world and placed in the church. He says it. I'm not making this up. Look at verse 2 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. First they're called, then they call. That's how it happens. It's exactly how it has to happen. When you're dealing with a valley of dry bones and dead people and dead corpses, if they're going to come to life, they can't choose to come to life. This is something that God miraculously does. He brings dead men to life. we were all dead in sins and trespasses, according to Colossians, the writing there. So, being dead men, we're brought back to life. And so, uh, in this place, where he they're called, these are men who, in every place, like men in every place, then call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, Lord. Master, how does Jesus Christ become Lord except by a miracle of God? Sinners do not call anyone, let alone Jesus Christ, Lord. Let's let's understand that. And then he goes on and says in verse 3, grace to you and peace. So the grace brought about the peace. It was an act of God. It was a calling of God. It was God's grace that placed upon them this calling and this salvation and brought them back to life. And as a result, they had peace with God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God. Why is he thanking God? Is he thanking God for them? No, he says concerning you for the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus. Emphasis, emphasis, emphasis. Calling, choosing, electing, grace. This has nothing to do with men. Grace is a gift; it's not earned or deserved. Square one. This is something that God did. This is something God always does. That in I'm just going along. If you have the scripture open, you know, just keep your eyes on the scripture because I'm just going. I'm not going to take the time to to point out verses, but I'm just going to be reading through this portion. That in everything. You were enriched in him. Where does the riches come from? In him. That's Christ. In all speech and all knowledge. They were enriched. In all speech and all knowledge. This is not a, a slackered church in the sense that they had speech and knowledge which came from God. That's right, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. So confirmed uh, in Christ, they, they, con- they gave testimony to Christ. Not themselves, they gave testimony from the beginning to Christ. Did they get off track? Well, obviously as we read through this, we're going to see, yes, they, they did. But he's stating here that you are not lacking in any gift. It wasn't that God held back and God bestowed on them the gifts Gifts of, of well, right here of knowledge and of speech—they're enriched in this. They they had information. Okay, as you eagerly await the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, they're waiting for Jesus to come back. This is what Christian people do. They're looking to Jesus. They're not looking for redemption, salvation, a better life any other way, but in Jesus Christ. And that means Jesus is going to come back, and He's going to fix all of this. He's going to set up a millennial kingdom and then from that millennial kingdom we're going to enter into eternity. It's the doorway to eternity through judgment. God is faithful. Paul says, through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Who's the faithful one? God is the faithful one. He called and he did it. He he called and he brought people back to life. So now, Paul says, "Now I urge you. This is an urgent, urgent thing. This is something that's important. Look, I need to tell you this, and I need to urge you, motivate you, push you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who did the sacrificing, the one who took our place on the cross, the one who paid the price for our sins, the one who made salvation possible, and He also called us into that salvation." That you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. What's he urging them to? He's urging them to put aside divisions. But that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. Boy, could we wish that today. That this fractured church that's in a thousand pieces, which is... It's easy for me, let me, a little confession, to get discouraged, to get depressed, you know, to to get into a place where I, I I become should I say it? I mean I can become hard, lose my joy. When I look around and I see that this is the will of God, that we be made complete. And how are we we made complete? When everyone's of the same mind and the same judgment, we're not arguing over every little thing, but rather we're in agreement. There's, there's an anointing where in, in Aaron... You know, the the oil was poured on his head. We get this picture in the Psalms and it drips down over his shoulders and over his body and all his clothes and it gets all the way down to his feet. And it's the oil of gladness. It's the oil of joy. It's the oil of the Holy Spirit that comes down and covers the whole person. It makes the person one. And the person we're talking about here is the bride of Christ, which is the church made up of many, many, many parts that are meant to, to be one. Now, back in the 60s, you know, Martin Lloyd-Jones and that whole crowd were faced with, are we evangelicals together with one mind and heart, or are we going to be ecumenical and bring every single lost cult and church into an, an agreement to be one, even though it's not based on an intellectual knowledge of the gospel, which There has to be more in Christianity than an intellectual understanding of the gospel. There has to be the Holy Spirit that's producing life, breathing life into people that become the church. But it's not without the truth of the gospel. Today, this is where uh, we find ourselves in 1 Corinthians 1. For I have been informed concerning you, my brothers, and this is what his concern is when he hears by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you. They were quarreling. This is the last thing they should have been doing when they should have been had no divisions and been of one mind in the same judgment. Now, I mean this that each one of you is saying, I'm of Apollo, or I'm Apollos, or I'm, a or, I'm a Cephas, I am Christ. Has, Christ. has Christ been divided? The question is rhetorical Christ isn't divided. The Father isn't divided from the Son, or the Son from the Father, or the Father, excuse me, the Father, or the Son from the Holy Spirit. This is one God. It may be three persons, but divided in no way. No, no, no. And then Paul was not, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I'm thankful that I baptized. None of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. It was not against baptism. He's all for baptism. It's a command by Christ that we go into all the world and we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let them have an experience where they say, look, I'm no part of the world anymore. But being baptized in a certain person's name was giving rise to the fact, I'm of this one, I'm of that one. Paul didn't want any part of that. Even, even to say, I'm glad I didn't baptize anybody. Of course he wants to baptize, but he's not called and he says that now. He says, I'm thankful I didn't baptize, but then he goes on and says, but I did baptize the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know if I baptize anyone else, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would be of, not made of no effect so that the cross of Christ would not be made of no effect. When we substitute cleverness of speech, listen to me, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, we undo the gospel. We, what, what are you talking about? I mean, we all love a way of presenting the gospel because, you know, so many people in the church are so uh, unlearned. And let's take that to mean immature, A mature person can preach the gospel not only because they're familiar with the Bible that gives them joy and life and understanding, but because they're maturing as a father, as a father who only a father can teach a son, can lead the son along, disciple a son. That's what discipleship is made out of. We have to have these sheets that give us every word and every verse and what exactly to say because we're incapable of doing it ourselves. This is an immature church. But what happens when you come up with all these cleverness, these clever ways to present the gospel, which actually entices people to do something they wouldn't otherwise do? Why do I say that? Well, look at what Paul says. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. So in other words, if you're preaching the go- the cross correctly, you're preaching something that people will see as foolish. Why would anyone receive that? Well, that's not the, in the 20th century, the way we've been presenting the gospel. We have to find out ways of getting away from the foolishness so people will receive Christ. That undoes the whole thing. God calls people, and when God calls people, he saves people. He saves people from themselves. He saves people from thinking it's foolish. And when he does that, then a person realizes it's actually the power of God that's doing it. And he quotes from the Old Testament when he says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. He's going to destroy the wisdom of the wise and the understanding of those who have understanding. I will confound. What's he talking about? He's talking about demonic, worldly wisdom. He's not talking about a wisdom that comes from God. He's talking about a wisdom that comes from the devil. Where is the wise person? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For, for since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom, did not come to know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now we're talking about a foolish message in the eyes of the world. Through that message, people believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs. We, we need a sign. You're not going to get one. You're only going to get the sign of Jonah, who was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. Meaning, you're going to see me crucified on a cross, and on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. And most of you are not not even going to see the resurrection. You're going to hear about it. But the fact is, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to be put into the ground. I'm going to rise from the dead. That's all you're getting. You're not getting signs from me, because I don't play those games with people. I'm speaking for God now. And I don't mean to be irreligious or dishonor, um, but uh, this basically is what he's saying here. For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed Jews ask for signs, and Greeks search for wisdom. They want to know that they're wise. But we we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block. And to Gentiles, foolishness. So Gentiles look at the gospel as foolish, and to Jews who know about the coming Messiah, know about the sacrificial lamb of God, Christ became a stumbling block. This is the gospel we preach. This is the message that people are called to receive. This is why only God can do it. Because the message that we're preaching only gets jeers and sneers And mocking because people are either stumbling over it if they be Jewish or religious or Christian or you know it's it's foolish you're gonna tell me that God calls people to life and I don't even have anything to do with it that I can't use my wonderful free will that's ultimately free and not even touched by sin to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and choose him to be my God I'm not doing that God has to bring me to life first What kind of foolishness is this? Well, that's the foolishness of the message preached. But, but, to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, that's what we're proclaiming. We are proclaiming the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than mankind and the weakness of God is stronger than mankind. In what ways? Well, the foolishness of God proclaims Jesus Christ as the Messiah, a criminal who went to death for crimes against Rome and he's the one who saves men from their sin. And by that person, God saves people. By that foolish message, he did something that people could never do. They could never save themselves. He offered himself as an offering, as a sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb to pay the price for their sins. Now, this might be foolish to men, and particularly the fact that God has to do it, but this is is actually the wisdom of God work. And when you come to know the gospel, when you come to be saved by the gospel, you understand just how wise this was. But the strength, the strength is in the power of God to raise people from the dead. That is something that men just cannot do. And so God's strength is far stronger. God's weakness is far stronger than any man. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Now he's coming down to humble these people by saying what he's about to say. As we understand who God calls. For consider your calling. This is about being called. You're out there doing your thing and you're going to be called into the church. Consider your calling. Not many according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble. But God has chosen, chosen the foolish things of the world. To save the wise, to shame the wise, I'm sorry, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the insignificant things of the world, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are. So that no human may boast before God. So when God saves, as he does, a retarded person who doesn't have the mental ability to even know right from wrong, and that person enters the kingdom, and a brilliant scholar with multiple PhDs goes to hell forever, God is mocking men as only God can, has the right to, and he does. He mocks the foolishness of men, the pride of men he mocks. But it is due to him that you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let no one who boasts, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord boasting apart from giving that boast to God in Christ Jesus is absolutely forbidden. This is the point that Paul is continuing to make in this section as he leads us all the way to chapter 3 and through the book really. And when I came to you brothers and sisters I did not come as someone superior in speaking ability or wisdom as proclaimed to you to, as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God for I determined to know nothing among you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He's not talking about scholars and philosophers and Greek men from the past. He's not talking about the, the philosophies of the world. He didn't do that. He's just determined to preach the cross of, of Christ, to preach Jesus in, in theology of the Bible, but not human wisdom. He determined to know nothing meaning he's not going to cajole, he's not going to influence people by his brilliance in any way. I was with you in weakness and fear and in great trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. He's not trying to impress anybody, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He actually dumbed down, so to speak, That whole thing which people are capable, and he certainly was capable, being taught as he was, um, as a Pharisee, he had the wisdom of the world, but he, he counted it as dung, as cow manure, in order to win Jesus Christ and to be found in him, not with a righteousness of his own, but with the righteousness that comes from God through Jesus Christ. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of mankind, but on the power of God. Now, when a person rests in the power of God, now you're talking about salvation. Yet, we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So what we're talking, Paul does speak wisdom, God's wisdom, to people who are mature. He can't speak to the immature because the immature don't get it. And that's where, where he's going with all of this. Things which, he says, eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which has not entered the human heart, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among people knows the thoughts of a person except the Spirit of the person that is in him? So also the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. This is a call To be a spiritual man, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to be taught by the Holy Spirit, I am not charismatic in its excesses. But I am a person who believes in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't, you're not reading your Bible well. You cannot learn these things. And that's exactly what Paul is saying right here in this place. You cannot learn these things apart from the Holy Spirit. You know, we are taught, a man is taught, you know, the things of a man. That's what he knows. Only God knows God, and only God can teach God, which he does through the Holy Spirit. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom but it knows taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now, if you don't know what he's talking about here, it's because maybe, I don't know who's listening right here, um, but what's going on is there's still a world, we live in a world with human philosophy. And that human philosophy way, makes its way into churches, good churches. And when it does, it confuses the whole gospel. It, uh, it makes it impure. It, it, it combines good and bad. And sometimes the, de- the devil is able to do this in such a subtle way that people don't even understand, they don't even notice what's taking place. And so a person has to identify worldly wisdom or philosophy. Today, building on the foundation of Freud, you know we have that kind of philosophy which just removes guilt it removes sin it just places on everything but ourselves you know you, it wasn't it's not your fault it's you know you saw your mother naked when you were 3 years old you know it was the abuse that now look there's things that come into our life that leave scars that cause issues you know but only the gospel of jesus christ can really cure and help and, and manage those kinds of things after a person comes into a, a relationship with God whereby God gives life and a new heart and it regenerates the soul and a person is born again and they can grow in the wisdom and knowledge of God because they can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. But human wisdom is self-help. You can go to any bookstore or you can go online and you can find them by the hundreds of self-help books. Christianity is not a self-help religion. Christianity is a, is a God-help, Holy Spirit-endowed help from above, including everything we believe, everything we think, everything we know, and every, the person upon whom we rely. It's about relying upon Almighty God in the person of Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit. But the unnatural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the one who is spiritual discerns all things. Yet he himself is discerned by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now look what's being said here. A natural man is a man who's not been born of God. There's no, there hasn't been a calling, uh, there, there hasn't come to place where men who are called. We're talking about a person in a natural condition, born to the race of Adam, born dead spiritually, out of alignment with God, a hater of God, a person who may be religious and say he knows God, when in fact he doesn't. And as such, he does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Because they're either a stumbling block or they're foolish. I mean, this is crazy. I'm going to get saved by a criminal. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So he understands that because he's a Baptist or a Pentecostal or a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or a Methodist or any number of different denominations, and he's been born into a Christian home and he attends church, that he believes in God. This is, uh, this is foolish. This is a man without understanding. This is a man who's stumbling over the, uh, over the stumbling block of Christ that you must be born again. You must repent of your sin. You must see how wicked you are that you go into hell and you can't save yourself. And at that point, you cry out to Jesus Christ for salvation. The one who is spiritual discerns these things. He gets it. He begins to understand and he begins to grow in his knowledge of God and the gospel and of Jesus Christ. Because these are spiritually discerned, and they can only be discerned by a spiritual man. Because who has known the mind of Christ, the Lord, Paul asks, that he will instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. Now let's recap where we've come from, chapters 1 and 2. We're coming from a church that's divided And rather than being of the same mind, they're arguing, and there's there's people groups, and they're assigning themselves to one over another, and it's just breaking Paul's heart to see this take place. Now, they're all enriched with all this knowledge, and they have this information, but there's a problem, and he brings the problem to a head in chapter 3. And I, brothers and sisters, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but only as fleshly, as to infants in Christ. So he's talking to not uninformed, but informed people. He's talking to people who have information, and it's good information, some of it, even though it's not being understood properly. And and this information is inflating their heads, like he says in chapter 8, verse 1. He said, concerning idols, we all have knowledge. Knowledge inflates, or it puffs up you got this big head and you're not doing, you're not becoming what you need to become. So he couldn't speak them to these people as spiritual. They had these gifts. I mean, he talks about the gifts later on and everybody's got a word and everybody's spiritual and everybody's speaking for God. And meanwhile, in chapter three here, there's the same church before he even gets to all of these gifts. He saying, I can't speak to you as spiritual people but only as fleshly people. I mean, that's like an unsaved person. He's not saying they're unsaved, but he's saying, when I see you, I don't see a spiritual person. I see a, an, a fleshly person. I see an infant. I don't see a mature person. You know, to go into all the world, and this has been really dominant in my mind in these days because of this ministry I'm about to embark on, and the ministry is really to world the world where people don't know how to be parents anymore because either they didn't have a father or they had abuse with family. And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a giant to them to now, how am I going to do this? Maybe they don't have a job. Maybe they're struggling in any number of ways. And the, and the most of all is they don't, they don't know about parenthood. They don't have that in their background. You know, when, when Jesus says, All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, and as you go therefore into all the world make disciples, the process of discipleship is, number one, a person has to be born again. He has to be born into regeneration. Now, that happens only the way he's laying it out, only through a pure gospel, which is, if it's pure, it's going to look like foolishness, or it's going to be a stumbling block, and God has to do it. And when God births a person, like only God can create something from nothing, when God births a person, now you have a person. And that person is always born an infant. And it goes from infancy to babyhood, to childhood, to teenager, to man. And man beget other men. The parents are adult parents. Of course, you could be 13 and not very mature, and you can birth somebody. But a parent is responsible to not only birth someone, but then to help them mature. And because we need to be responsible to be good parents. We live in a culture that doesn't get it, but in the church, is it different? Our church is filled with mature people who are able to not only birth, but to, to, to help mature the person so that they can become parents also who can lead others. Through example, 1 Corinthians 4, follow me, look as I follow Christ, Be an I urge you to be an example to others. Parenting is not just speaking words. It's living a life that people can follow, and they follow Jesus Christ. But he's speaking not to those kinds of people. He's speaking to people, not to people who can birth, although they they had a testimony of Jesus Christ, but they never grew up. Gifts are no gifts. They never grew up. But even now, you are not able. You know, I, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to consume it. You're, you're still not evil, he's saying. For you're still what? Fleshly rather than spiritual. And this has nothing to do with some idea of what spirituality is. This is about spiritual people are filled, who are filled with the Holy Spirit are obedient to Christ. They hear God's voice, not in a voice, a miraculous voice, but they hear it through understanding the word of God properly. They get God's will properly. They can make godly decisions because they're becoming mature godly people, and godly people make godly decisions. Fleshly people, infants in Christ, can make all kinds of mistakes, errors, sins, We're not called to that. We are called to maturity in Christ. We are called to be mature people who are led by the Spirit of God and not our own jealousies and strifes and fleshly living. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like ordinary men? Look, if you are taking on pride in being a Baptist or a charismatic or a Pentecostal or a Presbyterian, if you're taking pride in being an independent church where you have elders and you have a certain organization, if you're taking pride in pastor or shepherd or leaders in the church in any way or form, just know this, you're not spiritual, you're fleshly, you're immature, and you're not pleasing to God. You can't have it both ways. You can't. Either the focus is on Jesus Christ so that when the service is over, people are saying praise God and meaning it. And they're not looking to people or else they're looking to people and they're not pleasing God. It's true of all of us. If anything on my plate is I look at the church and I become overly critical. I mean, I'll be honest right here. I'll tell you. And I I have to fight back not to be overly critical because I see so much division and so much emphasis put on men. I mean, if Paul was alive today, well, he'd be writing this all over the place. I, I can just about guarantee that. And But I, I want to say this out of love and out of concern. You know, in, in order that we live lives that are fulfilling so that we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We can't Here, well done, good and faithful servant, if there's jealousy and strife among us, and if we're living fleshly lives, walking like ordinary people, as he says. For when one person says, I am with Paul, and another, I am Apollos, going back to chapter 1, here's in chapter 3, are you not ordinary people? He's asking a rhetorical question. Yes, you're ordinary people. You're not living like godly saints. What then is, Ap- is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. It's the channel. It's the pipe through which the water flows. That's all it is. Servants through whom you believe, even as the Lord had opportunity to each one, gave opportunity to each one. Look, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So is God getting the praise? Or is the one doing the watering that has nothing to do with the growth whatsoever? So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. I mean, could it be more plain? Could it be more demeaning? Which is not really demeaning. Is We're taking our place. What are we? Are we God? Do we create from nothing? Do we cause growth? So you put a seed in the ground and you sit there for a few days and you wait and the blade starts to come up and you go, wow, look what I did. Really? Really? Look what I did? Well, that's what we say in the church, though. Look at the growth that's going on in this church. Aren't we great? No one's going to say that, but isn't that what we mean? But God, who causes the growth. Now, the one who plants and the one who waters are one. Wow. Are they in reality? In God's mind and heart, they are. They're meant to be. But each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So even though we're one, and we're not many, everyone's responsible for his own life. Got to take responsibility. You can't go to church and say, we have a great pastor. That's not going to get you any gifts at all when you get stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. What's he saying? Um, it's God's fellow workers. It's God's field. It's God's building. It's not ours. Is it the pastor of such and such church, you know, listen. It's not his church. It's Jesus' church. How many times I have heard, and I'm not saying this to praise him in, but how many times I've heard John MacArthur say, "This is not my church." Every pastor should be saying that. He's not a perfect man. I'm not looking up to John MacArthur right now, even though I, I have a great deal of respect for him. No man should say, this is my church. I belong to the church of Jesus Christ. This is as good as we should go. And Jesus Christ is the one who this church belongs to. I will build my church, Jesus said in Matthew 16 and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why? Because he's God, and there's only one of those. There's not thousands upon tens of thousands of Jesus' people. We are not God, and we are not Jesus. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each person must be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what's the foundation he's talking about? Jesus. A foundation of salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is everything. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. He's the building. He's, he's the roof. You know, he's all of it is about Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation... With gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. If, a, if anyone's work which is ha, has, he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. He's building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. The fire comes along, and sweeps away, burns up the wood, the hay, and the straw. It's gone. It's, it's gone. It's never to be seen again. But if the gold, which does can be purified but not destroyed in fire, and the silver and the precious stones go through the fire and they remain, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet only so as through fire. He doesn't even mention in this section about it remaining. He's not focusing on a reward. He's only focusing on this, what disappears and what remains. You know, the, the, the gold and the silver are precious metals that go through the fire. And the only thing that can pass through the fire and remain is God. In one way or another, when our focus is Jesus Christ, is almighty God, for his honor and his glory, and he's the foundation. You know, when it's, it's all based on like the reformers would say, you know, to the grace of God alone, by faith alone and Jesus Christ alone, through the scriptures alone, for God's glory alone. When those alone solas are prevalent When our heart and our mind is there and not on us and what men do and what we can do and how we're better than the next guy. When that infancy is is torn away, is turned into maturity, that remains. Strife does not remain. Competitiveness does not remain. Being better than the next guy does not remain. That gets burned up and it's lost. And that is the context of what we're talking about here. Division, arrogance, pride, being better than the next guy, rather than being of one mind, being one people, being one church, that Jesus Christ might be honored through our humility. That's what's going to last. I guarantee you that will last because Jesus says it. Because that's the point that he's making right here. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Temple. Individually and as a group. We're a temple. If anyone destroys or ruins, in the Greek, the temple of God, God will ruin that person. For the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are. Now look, God's not in the business of ruining Christians. That's not his will or his desire. But God is a just God, and he doesn't play games. God is not like us. We love to play games. God does not play any games. He's about building a good, strong church where he's the foundation, and he fills it with his Holy Spirit. He guides it through the wisdom of the word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he humbles it through the gospel. We have to be a repentant people that recognize that if it were not for the grace of God, I would go to hell and I would deserve every minute of it. And I know that's true of me. And if you're a Christian, that needs to be your thought as well. As a mature person, as a person who can lead others through, through the scriptures, to become mature people, to learn how to overcome sin, to learn how to know God on your knees in prayer, to how to humble yourself in prayer and continually humble yourself in prayer so that you fight through the temptation as I do to become critical because I see all these things. And it's hard because I want to be part of something better, something that God has called us to. That's the design of the church is that it be humble and that he gets all the glory that he's the foundation, and he's the source of everything good. Do you not know? Look, if anyone just ruins the temple, God would ruin. You know, he just lets us do what we do. We ruin ourselves. We ruin ourselves through pride. We ruin ourselves to never growing up and being mature. We ruin ourselves by being fleshly and carnal and not being spiritual and holy and humble. Take care that no one deceives himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. Forget the PhDs. Forget the scholarly pursuits. Forget the the worldly acknowledgement or the way we acknowledge one another with cap and gown and we give each other kudos and credit for all. Forget that. Forget that. That's ruin. I'm not talking about not being learned in the Word of God and relying upon the word of God rather than earthly wisdom. Just the opposite. That Paul is saying just the opposite of that. But he's not taking credit for anything. He's not running around in cap and gown. He's not running around like the Pharisee that he once was. That's dung to him. And it means needs to be dung to us. No, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the sight of God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise by their craftiness. What does God do? He catches the wise by their craftiness, or so they think. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are useless. He knows the thoughts of, Of the people who are wise in worldly demonic wisdom, that they are useless. So then no one is to be boasting in people. How many times do I have to say that? No one is to be boasting in people. Giving honor and credit and respect is one thing. And we're going to run with that as far as we can, and we're going to push the envelope until we say it's not boasting when it is. We're not going to call... I'm not going to come short on this here. I'm all for respect. Respect comes with a humble heart, that I'm no good, and this brother of mine is undoubtedly better than I am. Philippians 1... uh, I'm sorry, Philippians 2 tells us this. This is where we go. We we go to humbling ourselves in prayer and before God in the word. And that makes people look better. But that's not the same as boasting over people. No one is to be boasting in people. For all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you. Well, that seems like a cause for boasting. Wait, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. See, you're lost in that. It's not that we're paupers. Christ gives us Himself. He gives us to be children of God and to be enter into the divine family. We have all these things. The church belongs to us. When. We put ourselves in the context that we belong to Christ. We're we're slaves to the one who is our master. And Christ belongs to God. There's an ownership here. And we're at the bottom. We have everything in Christ. In ourselves, we have nothing. We ruin everything. Dear Heavenly Father, we accept this place where we belong. We belong as sinners saved by grace. As sinners welcomed into the family of God. As sinners who are given the responsibility to become mature parents Who are able to birth other people. Knowing that only God can create a life. Be the source of eternal life. Bring them into being. And then working through us by the Holy Spirit and the scriptures. To mature people. To where they too can disciple other people. Father, parent, other Christians so they can do the same. This is the calling. To go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have told you. This is the calling. This is what we are called to, to be responsible parents. Lord, we acknowledge that apart from you, we can do nothing. You're the the root and we're the branch. Unless we abide in you, unless we rest in you, unless we remain in you, we just become boastful people who just divide from one another and lord it over one another and compete with one another. Lord, there's no place for that in the church. Come down from heaven, Lord, and enter our hearts so that we might only see, not only see these things, but we might practice them in our day-to-day living before one another and for one another. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.